You're listening to a message from Stonegate Church. For more information about Stonegate and additional audio resources, please visit Stonegate.Church. Good morning, Stonegate. As Rodney mentioned, my name is Justin Jackson. I'm new around here, and the elders have graciously invited me to be your new director of theological development. You don't have to remember that. You can just call me the DTD and it'll be sufficient. Okay. So just, you know, anytime you see me walking around, I'm the DTD. Sounds pretty powerful, right? Love it. Uh, And I cannot begin to tell you how excited I am and my family is to be here. It is such a joy to call you family, to call Stonegate family. For years, we've lived in this community. And I've always said, anytime Stonegate came up in a conversation, I love their mission. I love the way they make disciples. I love the way they enjoy Jesus. And now I get to say, I love our mission. I love the way we make disciples. And I love that we get to enjoy Jesus together. Now, today is our last Sunday in the Enjoy series. Now, throughout January, Rodney and Jimmy have been calling us to enjoy Jesus through the means of grace that he's given us. Uh, through different things like prayer, through the word. And today I get the gracious blessing to end the series by talking about how we can enjoy Jesus in community together. Now looking at a room this big with so many different people here, I assume there's a lot of different people at a lot of different stages. Some of you have been coming to Stonegate for years, maybe even since the conference center days. You've been all in, you've served whenever there's a need, you've faithfully, sacrificially given. And so a sermon about enjoying Jesus in community may seem a little bit like preaching to the choir. And yet, I just, I think this is a great opportunity to stop and to revel in what the beauty and the majesty of God's work is here in Stonegate, how he's using this community in you and how he's using this community to sharpen your enjoyment together and just to walk slowly through how he's doing that. I think there's another group of people here. Maybe you've come to Stonegate for a while. Uh, You love it here. You keep coming faithfully every Sunday. But for one reason or another, you've never quite been able to break out of that Sunday-only barrier. Whether it's your kids' extracurricular activities, whether it's your busy schedule, your work, whatever it is, you just can't seem to commit to much else. My hope for you in studying John 17 is that you will be persuaded to rethink what things are given the top priority in your calendar, what things are given the top slots on your Monday through Friday, and to help you consider why gospel-centered community should be one of the top priorities that you make at the top of your list every single week. And then there's still others here, okay? So you got your faithful stone gators that have been here. You're, you're all in. You've got your Sunday-only crowd. And then you got people like me. It's your first real Sunday. You're here. You see everything that we have. You see all the invitations to come close, to jump in, to join in the mission. You see stuff about home groups, men's ministry, women's studies, the well, the wild, sing and pray, and on and on. Redemption groups, home groups, all, on and on. And it can all be a bit intimidating, And it's tempting in seeing all these different ways to connect to just fall back or to turn inward and to say, whoa, it's a bit like a turtle, right? Put put your head back in the shell a little bit. Um, If you're like me, you have that natural tendency. You get around a big group of people and you immediately want to kind of fall back. 
But it's at those moments that you feel like falling back, that you feel like turning inward, that it's so crucial for you to step out and step into a gospel-centered community, for you to just give yourself over to people, for them to know you and to love you. And we're going to see all this from John 17. When we read John 17, we get to see what Jesus' greatest desire for your life is. One of his greatest desires, whether you've been a Stonegator for years, a Sunday-only Christian, or you're brand new here, is that you would give yourself to a gospel-centered community where you can enjoy him and others together in that community. And so let's just ask this question. Why should pursuing gospel community be a priority in our lives? Why should it be the top thing that we do throughout the week? We're going to look at four reasons why the the gospel-centered community that we have here is an essential, non-negotiable aspect of growing in our enjoyment of Jesus. But before we do that, let's just, let's lay out the foundation for what John 17 is. Uh, John 17, as you probably know, is known as the high priestly prayer. And it's one of the final prayers that Jesus prays before dying on the cross for you. He goes to the cross, and, but, but before he goes to the cross, he lays out some of his greatest longings, some of his greatest desires, just pours out his heart to God, asking God to do something in his people. Now, if you're like me, you ask questions like, well, this is the son of God. Why does he have to pray at all, right? Couldn't he just think thoughts without even uttering a syllable? Why does Jesus the Son of God, who's a person in the Trinity, need to say this prayer aloud? Well, very frankly, John 17 isn't just for him. John 17 is for us. It's for our benefit. Jesus intentionally prays aloud so that in 2023, you stone gators here at 930 could open up his word and read his prayer and be fulfilled in a very specific purpose. And what purpose is that? He says it in verse 13. These things I speak in the world that they may have my joy. That they have, may have my joy fulfilled in themselves. In other words, Jesus prays out loud so that the thing that delights him would become the thing that delights you as well. You see, the Bible tells us that when Jesus' joy becomes our joy, our joy is made full. The only way to have true, lasting happiness is if the things that make Jesus happy make us happy. One of the biggest problems that we face in life is that we're chasing happiness in a whole bunch of things that doesn't make Jesus happy. But if we want our happiness to be full, our joy to be full, then the thing that makes Jesus happy will be the thing that makes us happy just as John 15, 11 says. And guess what one of those things is? The thing that makes Jesus happy, one of the things that makes Jesus happy is engaging in a gospel community. Home groups make Jesus happy. Redemption groups make Jesus happy. Sunday church makes Jesus happy. In fact, one of the primary lessons that you're going to learn from John 17 is that our joy in Jesus and our relationships with other believers are inseparably woven together. That we're meant to be together in this enjoyment of who Jesus is as he fills up his joy in us, in us, not just in me, right? So not just as an individual, but as a corporate body, 
And notice how, how high of a standard he, he prays for. He doesn't just pray that we would get along. That's relatively easy to come to church, to not talk about politics for an hour, or to not, you know, talk about what, the, what mistakes the Dallas Cowboys made uh, a couple weekends, weekends ago, but to, to actually sit down and, and actually be one. This is what he wants. He doesn't just want you to get along together or to be in the same, same room. He's praying that you would be one, indivisibly one. When something is one, it cannot be divided. It cannot be broken apart. It's one. It's a whole entity that exists in unity. The community that Jesus delights in is one that is built upon, dependent upon, and founded upon, unified in him, indivisibly, unbrokably, unbreakably. Is there even a word for that? Unified around him. So seeing that's true, it's worth asking, what is it about this community and about the communities that we're called to engage in that brings Jesus so much joy. Here's where we'll get into the, the four reasons gospel community delights in Jesus. Above all, reason number one, gospel community reminds us of God's unnecessarily excessive love for us. Now, before you take off your shoe and throw it at me for saying that God's love is unnecessarily excessive, let me explain what I mean by that. Have you ever wondered what God was doing before the world was made. Like, like, what was he doing before you and I were here, before there was a Milky Way, before there were the Grand Tetons? What was God doing before the world was made? And what made him want to create the world in the first place? This is why theology matters. When I was a kid, I asked my Sunday school uh, teacher this question. I just asked him, what was God doing before the world was made? Why did he make the world? And the answer that he gave me was that God made the world because he wanted someone to love, someone to glorify him. And maybe you were taught the same thing. And so because of that, I spent decades imagining creator God getting up from his throne to create all things with Jefferson Airplane's Somebody to Love song playing in the background. You know the song, don't you want somebody to love, right? It's the only time you're going to ever hear me sing a solo. But that is not how Jesus describes what God was doing before the world was made. That's not how Jesus describes what the triune God was doing. He didn't make the world because he wanted somebody to love. As Jesus is praying, he gives us a very brief, very subtle glimpse into eternity past, long before you and I ever existed. And here's what he prays, verse 24. You, the Father loved me before the foundation of the world. Very simply, before the creation of the world, what was God doing? The Father was loving the Son. Father God, loving Son of God. John 17, 5 would add that before the world was made, the Son was basking in, enjoying the presence of his Father's glory. So just to see the picture that Jesus paints about what he and the Father would do, were doing before the world was made, he shows us a trinity that is absolutely content, absolutely happy in his own glory and love. Father loving the Son, Father glorifying the Son, the Son glorifying the Father, and all of this in and through the Spirit. You know what that means? God didn't make us because he needed somebody to love. 
He didn't make us because he needed somebody to glorify him. He already had love. He already had glory. Father loving the son, son loving the father, father glorifying the son, the son basking in the father's glory. He didn't need yours and I's love and glory. So far from need, far from necessity, why then did our triune God make us? Well, because his love is excessive. It's overabundant. It overflows. It was a perfect love between the Father and the Son. He didn't need us. He still doesn't need us. But he wants us. We are here very simply because of the triune God's love that has overflowed into our existence. As the Father and the Son are loving and glorifying each other, that overflows into the existence of all things. Not out of need, but out of an unnecessarily excessive love for you. Now, what does this have to do with gospel communities? Very simply, just as God did not create us because of any need in himself, neither has he created this church or your home group or your family because he needs something from us. I mean, let's, let's think about who we're talking about. We're talking about our all-sufficient, self-existing, triune God from whom all life flows. What in the world could he ever need from us? What could we ever give him that he does not already have? So far from being a necessity that God made this church because he needs this church, he made your home group because he needs your home group, he made your family because he needs your family, far from necessity, your communities exist for one reason, because God delighted to make it. He just wanted to. Why does this church exist? Because God wants it to exist. What can this church add to the glory that the son was giving the father? What can this church add to the love that the father was giving? We can't add anything to the triune God. We exist simply because Jesus delights in our existence. Now, think about how crazy this is. Jesus was content, happy, full in the love and glory of his father before the world was made. And yet, out of just sheer delight, creates us, redeems us, gathers us, and brings us into the same love and glory that the Father gave him before the world was made. Do you realize what you have in Jesus? Jesus doesn't just love you. You have been brought into the very love that the triune God was loving each person with before you were ever made. You're invited in to love and glory. Every time we get together as a group of believers, we're reminded afresh, first, that we exist out of the lavishly excessive love and glory of God, not because of our need or our competencies, And second, that we were meant to enter that love and glory together, not just as individuals. God has saved a family. God has set aside for himself a family of believers that he is bringing into love and glory. And those reminders should result in both our humility and in our encouragement as we enjoy Jesus with others. That's just reason number one, that our community delights Jesus. Reason number two. 
gospel community delights Jesus because it is the visible expression of his unity, of our unity with him. Let me say it again. Our gospel community delights Jesus because it is the visible expression of our unity with him. As I've already said, Jesus opened the door. He's invited us into the very same love and glory that he had before time began. What was his alone has now become ours. He's given it to us. Listen to the way he prays here. He, he, he wants this close, intimate union with us as God's people. He prays for his people and he says, Father, I pray that they will be one just as you, Father, are in me and I in you that they also may be in us. Good luck parsing out who's in who. Just as you, Father, are in me, I in you, and they also may be in us. And that's not the only time he's going to say it. He's going to go on to say, in them, in us, in you, in us, in me. And he creates, he, he essentially creates this big spaghetti ball tangle of the Father, the Son, and us together that cannot be broken. It's an unbreakable knot of fellowship between us, the Son, and the Father, all held together by the Spirit of God. He goes even further by pointing to the Trinity's oneness as the standard and paradigm of the unity he wants for his people. Can you say the word Trinity without thinking about God the Son? You shouldn't be able to, right? There is no Trinity without God the Son. Can you say the word Trinity without thinking about the Father? No, the Trinity is three persons in unity, right? Three persons, one God. The Father, the Son, the Spirit. You cannot take any one of those persons out or the Trinity stops being the Trinity. Just as the Father and the Son are one, Jesus prays that our community as individual believers will be one. That's a high standard, isn't it? That's not just agreeing to get along for an hour. This is an indivisible unbroken unity where God the Son brings us in, unifies us with himself so that we may now be unified with the Father so that together we are in God. We are unified with him unbreakably into this amazing, intimate fellowship. If that wasn't enough to get your jets running, Jesus, throughout this prayer, actively continues to give what's his. Listen to what he says. The glory that you have given me. Now, you know, okay, let me just tell you. First off, somebody gives me glory, the last thing I want to do is to share it. As a sinful human being, right? You can ask my kids every time we play Mario Kart on Nintendo Switch. I ain't sharing that glory with anybody, okay? But Jesus says, the glory that you have given me I have given to them, for what reason? That they may be one even as we are one. I and them and you and me, there's that spaghetti ball again, that they may become perfectly one. Jesus shares his glory with his people, which then leads to our unity. In other words, our unity of, as believers is sourced, founded upon, and dependent upon our unity first with Jesus. Him sharing what's his brings us together. If Jesus didn't give us the glory that was his, there'd be no community to speak of. There'd be no stone gate to talk about. 
Stonegate exists because God, Jesus has shared his glory with us and unified us together by sharing what's his. And it's not just glory that he shared. He shares his love, the love from the Father. He says in verse 23, he asks God, he, he says to God that God has loved us even as he has loved his son. Can you imagine? God loves you and me. Broken, sinful, deserving of judgment people. And you know what's even more amazing than that? He doesn't just love sinners who are broken and sinful. He loves sinners like you and me who are broken and sinful in the exact same way he loves his holy, perfect, divine son. You have loved us even as loved, he loved his son, his son. You see, God doesn't just love you like you're his children, like you're his sons and daughters. He loves you as his son. However God loves Jesus, he loves you. Stonegate. He loves you as his son. We don't deserve that, but man, what an amazing unity with Jesus we have. That we're not just around Jesus, we're not just on Jesus' team. No, we're unified with Jesus, where we're receiving the very glory and love from God that was given to him before the world was made. Now again, it's, it's, it's the fact that Jesus is praying in the context of them that compels us to think of this love, not just on an individual level, but also on a corporate level. God loves me. That's true. But he also loves us. And we have to grow and mature enough to think about how God loves us. It's absolutely true that I can enjoy God's love and glory in solitude. But the highest point of enjoying union with Christ is when I celebrate it with the family. You see, my name is not the only name on the gift tag. The, the glory and love that the Son has given us from the Father is a family gift to us, for us all to enjoy. Every time we get together, it's like we, we sit around and we sip gospel wine from the wine barrel that Jesus has opened. And we all get to, mm, man, that's good. We get to talk about its contours and its taste and its sweetness. And we get to do it in his presence. There is no other tangible, visible place on earth where you can experience this kind of union with Christ than with local gathering of believers. Reason number three. So gospel community reminds us of God's overabundant love. It's also a visible expression of our unity with Jesus. Now adding to all of this, our gospel community is also missional. In other words, your community, our groups, our home groups, our church is God's missional megaphone to the world. It's how he tells all the world the gospel. Listen to the way that Jesus prays about it in verses 21 and 23. He prays for our unity that we would be one so that the world may believe that God sent him into the world. When he talks about God sent him or sent me into the world, he's talking about everything about his death, his resurrection. He came, he was sent into the world to die for sinners like you and me, and he rose again, thereby solidifying our unity with him in his resurrection, giving us his death, giving us his resurrection so that we could be with him forever. 
So that's what our community does. It's a missional megaphone of that gospel truth. But how exactly do our communities proclaim the gospel? Let's just take a home group as an example. My home group's sitting right over here. Um, and uh, we actually haven't met together yet, but I'm super excited about it. How many of you guys are in a home group? Okay. No shame for you guys that don't have your hands up, but shame on you. Um, <laughs> let's, let's talk about how a, how a home group proclaims the gospel to the world. Try to imagine what your non-believing neighbor might be thinking as he sees three pearl white Honda Odysseys parked in front of the same house. (laughs) Who in their right mind would leave the comfort of their home, pack up all their screaming kiddos just to drive to another person's house where there are dozens of other screaming kiddos? Who would do that? That's crazy, right? Amen? Can I get an amen to that? It's, it's definition of insanity there. Who's crazy enough to say no to eating Cheetos on the couch and watching Thursday night football and saying yes to gathering at some stranger's house to talk about their sin? Every time we gather... We tell the world that the gospel is strong enough to overcome the individualism that comes so natural to us. Only the gospel is so powerful that it can woo people out of their isolation, out of their private corners, off their comfy sofas, away from their mesmerizing TVs, and into an uncomfortable, death-like, sanctifying group of weirdo Christians. When we intentionally gather with other believers, we are telling the world, we are telling everyone else that Jesus is worth more than me time. And that's a powerful apologetic to the world. Finally, gospel community is important because it both points and moves us forward to life with Jesus. Our gospel communities are heading somewhere. We're not just meeting just to get together. We're not just meeting every Sunday without end just because it's fun to do so. Our gospel communities are heading somewhere. According to Jesus, we are heading to the amazing telos when there will be no more preachers on stage, but there will be a shepherd at the head of the table. We're heading to a telos when you won't just walk with other believers, you'll walk with other believers and Jesus where you will see Jesus unveiled face to face. Listen to the beauty of his prayer. This is what Jesus prays for. Let me just tell you, Jesus is going to get what he prays for here. Father, I desire that they also whom you have given me, listen to the beauty of this, may be with me where I am. Why? To see my glory that you have given me because you have loved me before the foundation of the world. So where are we heading? Where is Sunday morning, 9.30 Stonegate heading? Where is Thursday night home group heading? Where is Sunday night home group heading? Where is Saturday morning redemption group heading? Well, it's heading straight for Jesus. Straight for presence with him. Jesus will get what he prayed for, which means that we will make it. We will get there. One day we'll trade pews and seats for table seats, for a meal and a feast in the presence of the king. 
eating together, drinking gospel wine, the kingdom's wine, forever together with Jesus. Now, that's a beautiful statement that we're going to see Jesus' glory. You know, that's not, a, that's not just Jesus showing off, right? It's not like, hey, I want you to see uh, what I had before the, the, the world began. I'm just going to show off a few things. I'm going to show off my love and my glory. As if he's showing off his childhood room, right? That's not, that's not what he's doing here. He's not just showing off his love and glory. When we see Jesus' love and glory, we will become like him. Seeing Jesus' love and glory transforms us into his image. Listen to what 2 Corinthians 3.18 says. And we all, with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image. Same image as who? As Jesus. Which means no sin. From one degree of glory to another. 1 John 3.2 adds that when we finally see Jesus, we shall be like him. Now, that's beautiful. So Jesus says that his desire is that in our communities, we will one day be with him, that we will get to enjoy his presence. Now, why is that good news? And why should that motivate you to join a home group or to keep coming every Sunday morning? Well, simply because of this. Guys, I've been a pastor for uh, going on 14 years, I think. And I just know, you know, you give a lot of reasons why you might not go to a home group, but one of the real reasons is you don't want to hang out with weird, quirky people. I mean, I, I feel it too. So just to be a moment of transparency, sometimes we don't get together because we're afraid of all the weird, quirky people and their sin and their sinfulness and their brokenness. We don't know what to do with all that. But according to Jesus' promise, there will be a day that we will see him and be transformed. Every sinful thought, every sinful desire, every sinful inclination, every spiritual quirkiness, including yours, by the way, will be sanctified out. So the very people you're avoiding because they're weird or quirky are the very same people that will one day image Jesus in absolute perfection. So you should be with them. So gospel community points us forward, uh, but it also moves us forward. It's in community that Jesus calls us further up and further into a relationship with him. He intends our groups to move us forward in the progression of faith. Here's what he prays in verse 26. I made known to them your name, and I will continue to make it known that the love with which you have loved me may be in them and I in them. Now again, just in the context of the community, where is it that Jesus' love dwells? Where is it that Jesus continues to make the name of the Father known? It's in the context of a group, isn't it? Now, yeah, surely Jesus can teach you a few things on your own. But in the context of his prayer, it is in the context of a group with other people that you are learning more about the Father and living in the love of Jesus. So why do we go to home groups, to redemption groups? Why do we get together on Sundays, women's events, men's events, the well? Well, for a very specific reason. Because these things are the means by which we can know God and experience his love together. So what should you do? You know, it's one thing to come up here and preach, and these are reasons why you should come into a community, but it means nothing if you don't do something about it. When it comes to things that are so unnatural to us, like getting involved in a church, the best practice is just to commit. No excuses, no hesitations. So first, I want to call you to prioritize our Sunday gatherings. 
It's difficult to overstate how important gathering with your local church family actually is. It's more important than a sports team, more important than a hobby. It's more important than even your job. And as we clearly saw last Sunday, it's more important than the Cowboys. It's more important than all these things. So why not prioritize it and, and live in it? If you listen to my favorite album, Hamilton, then just to borrow an idea from him, Sunday's not a moment. It's a movement. It's meant to move you closer together so that you will continue living in and dwelling in the love of Christ. Second, if you're new to Stonegate and you're wondering where to begin, register for Discover Stonegate. They offer this every month. The next one's February 12th during the 930 service, during this service, which means that all of those of you that in your hearts felt moved to go to eight or you forget to go to eight and you come to the 930 Discovery, Discover Stonegate, you can come to the 11. So you can come to Discover Stonegate, hang out with me and my family there. We'll have a little shy introvert table. We'll all turn our chairs away from each other and we can learn about how to engage in community together. Third, if you've been to Stonegate for a while and you're part of that Sunday-only crowd, I just want to encourage you to jump into a group. It is so easy in a church this size to come in and disappear. Sunday after Sunday, to slip into the back, come in late, leave early. Nobody knows you. You don't know anybody. My friends, that is devastating to your spiritual life. Sunday mornings are massively important, but you need more to be shaped into the image of Christ. Home groups are the way to do that. Redemption groups are the way to do that. The men's and women's events are the way to do that. These are people that if you let them, they will see the real you. No charade, no veil. The real you, both good and bad, and love you anyway. They're the ones that will bring you a bread bowl of chicken soup when you're sick. They're the ones that will encourage you, that will pray for your marriage, that will walk alongside of you and will let you see the real them as well. I just want to encourage you, if you're not in a group where you're known and where you know others, you are living a very dangerously isolated life. We have all kinds of people outside in the foyer ready to invite you in so that you can experience the love of Jesus that dwells in us together. Finally, I encourage you to be a part of what is happening at Stonegate. When we have events, they're not just events. They're not just time fillers. They're not just things that we do to fill up the calendar. They're things that are meant for you to be shaped and formed into the image of Christ. The most practical way to do it is to come to sing and pray tonight at 630. What are we going to do? We're going to literally do that. We're going to sing and we're going to pray. There's no, no hidden agenda or anything like that. Just come sing and pray and hear what the Lord is doing through Stonegate. You can come on March 5th and learn from Tony Ranke on how to use your technology in a way that honors God. You can jump into men's training on Thursday on February 9th, or you, you ladies can jump into the table on February 23rd, or Behold and Become in late April. All these things are offered to you as a feast of fellowship, word, and worship so that you can come together and delight in Jesus, but at the same time, by gathering together to actually delight Jesus. We talk about enjoying Jesus. Have you ever thought that Jesus enjoys this? He enjoys your groups. He, He enjoys those three pearl white Honda Odysseys parking in front of the same house. It brings delight to his heart, joy to him. My friends, I just want to invite you to do that. 
Let's enjoy the communities that God has so graciously given us and delight in Jesus and delight Jesus. Let's pray. Father God, I just thank you for this church. I thank you for its reputation of enjoying Jesus together and making disciples. Father, I pray that as they continue to enjoy Jesus, that if there's anyone here that has not yet been reconciled to you, that you will bring them to your presence, that you will give them glory and love so that they can then be unified with your people. Lord, it is impossible to unify with your people without first being reconciled to your son. So I just pray if there's anyone here that doesn't know him, that they will believe and that they will be brought in to this amazing community of gospel-centered believers. Father, help us to enjoy you well in our communities. We pray this in your son's name.